Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to the French Rugby Podcast with me, Tim Groves, former France hooker, Benjamin Kayser, and ex-Scotland back row, Johnny Beattie. Bon année, guys. Is it too late to say that? Mid-January? Never, never too late. You have until oh. the 31st of January to say it. It's, it's always nice to hear, you know, best wishes of this, best wishes of that. I think this year it's health, 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 and the rest you can all get stuffed, right? You got, you roll <laughs> your sleeves up and you, just, and you just do your own homework. But at the moment, it's health, health for everyone, and that's it. Exactly. And it can only get better. 100%. Here's to 2021. Absolutely. And how was the end of 2020? Good Christmas? Good New Year? Oh, well, uh, I've got a funny story around Christmas because all, all how do you say that? All hell bro- broke loose. Is that what you say? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, hello. Yes. Um, uh, <laughs> after, after that Bayonne Leicester game, which I commentated for French TV <clears throat> and not knowing that basically that was the game that was going to kick off you know, the, the shitstorm about the difference of, well, first that English variant that, that arrived in the world and then how it's impacted on rugby and all that. And I'm in France, huh? two days before Christmas. I would love to be in France for Christmas, but I would still rather be with my wife and girls, you know? <laughs> and, um, and so basically I'm thinking, oh shit, this is going to happen. And please don't tell my wife. Good thing she doesn't listen to the podcast because I didn't take the first flight back. I took the second flight back because like I said oh, to you, Johnny, I wanted to go. I wanted to, Bayonne is an hour and a half from Bordeaux. And Bordeaux is where I have my second Inu Park shop that I, I haven't really seen yet. So I wanted to spend the time to do it. And I'm there in the shop sweating like a piglet because I'm just looking at the news. Oh, France is shutting borders. This is shutting. And I'm trying to call EasyJet to change my flight. No, no, no. This flight is being canceled. And that flight is being canceled. And the other one's being canceled. And I'm thinking, oh, shit, this is going to be long. Basically texting my wife in the same time. Yeah, no, it's all right. Don't worry. Yeah, my flight is all good. So, you know, maybe I'll get tested here if I can, if I have the time, you know. But, you know, we're all good. And I get to the, to the, to the airport. Hallelujah. Some whatever reason, uh, my flight did go at 6 o'clock or whatever. And it full ramp-packed. Uh, is to say that they bust your balls about being careful with jail with masks. But then in the flight, everybody was touching each other. I said, like, what kind of thing is it? It's spaced out people. You know, the world is... What kind of flight was it? Why are you touching each other? Easy jet. <laughs> no, anyways, no, you know what I mean? And it's, it's like, oh, well. And so basically I did get there. We all got tested on the Tuesday uh, and everybody's all right. That was really good fun to have to go test my little ones. So elbow in the face, second hand, uh. holding both hands down. Oh, you know, stuffing those things in the nose that was no fun but they did well oh, and everybody's all right so i thought i almost got locked uh, locked there and then i realized because of that variant because of that particular game 
how much it's impacted the top 14 rugby. So it was a, a fun weekend. And European stuff as well. Now it's gone everywhere. Yeah, I mean, for European, I don't know what you think, Johnny, but they, they didn't really have much of a choice, did they? It's just too hot, too young, too, too sudden. And the French government has got to step on it. I think it's a matter. Remember, I always said to you that I really do think sport has got a responsibility to lead by example in terms of not sulking, be, of being happy. We're there to promote a fun, positive, huge experience. But also they got to lead by example by saying the week when they announce how bad this variant is in England, you're not going to have uh, you know, rugby games where, where 45 guys travel all the time, where nobody's in a bubble. Exactly. And so the weird thing with rugby is you've got this task of inspiring people and entertaining people and having fun and keeping it turning and being on TV and giving some people to watch. But then ultimately, you just said it, you've got a traveling band of 50 people who, if it's picked up in a game with one scrum, one mall, they go back home, they see their wives, they see their kids, they all go to the shops, they all go to supermarkets, they all go to school, and it just spreads like wildfire. So as much as, yes, we love to see our sport continue, they had no choice. They've got absolutely no choice, especially with the cross-border competition. That's why looking a little bit further ahead, Six Nations, is it going to go ahead? We don't know, but it was the right thing to do. Um, you had to close it down because it, it just spreads like wildfire. And that's it. There's 50 of you traveling. It just it goes exponentially. So yeah. absolutely the right thing to do. The one good thing you have to say, in contrast to premiership rugby, the one thing that I have enjoyed with top 14 is that they've said, let's use these two weeks now. They've acted quickly. Let's catch up on games. Why do you think they've been able to do that? Whereas the premiership have, by all accounts, the premiership clubs have not all bought into that. So have the top 14 clubs all bought in? I don't know, actually. I don't know. What, do you know Do you know why, Tim, why the premiership said no? Not so much why the French said yes. Exactly. Why did the premiership rugby say no? Because in, in the premiership, all of the clubs have to, have to agree to it. So we had uh, Rob Baxter, Pat Lamb, uh, Lee Blackett, their three came out and said they'd really like to do it. But then Worcester have, have kind of said or inferred that they didn't. And and if you haven't got buy-in from all of them, they, they haven't been able to do it, basically. And why would you not be buying in? So you got to say, so buy-on, for instance, I take them as the example. They were part of the group that they caught that strain. They now need anything they can in the coffers and to play these games and to play their home games and get points on the board. So they're not like, they're not fussed about European rugby. And I would think looking across the water, Worcester would be in the same boat. So what's the difference? Why do Worcester not need the points and they don't want to get up that premiership, whereas Bayonne are desperate to get top 14 games played and get points banked? That's why I don't understand. Yeah. I think I agree completely with Pat Lamb, with Baxter. They all came out in the press. I thought that was great. Um, and I cannot see a reason, apart from being underhand and not wanting to play games or wanting to pick up free points is the only thing that I can think of. But no, I think it's great. Top 14's back on. Games are back on. They're taking place. People are staying fit which again leads to less injuries because if you're chucking people into games after three weeks off and training in little bubbles, it's, it's dangerous. So no. There's also, Johnny, um, a little something that brings us back to our ongoing theme about French rugby, which is the politics behind it, is that let's not be fooled. Exactly like you said, Bayonne, their priority is not Europe. Their priority is, is to win every single game uh, because what you have to understand is what when, when the game gets postponed and their club gets shut, the boys can't play. How, how far, how quick, so, sorry, do you lose match fitness by staying in your house and, you know, jumping on the rowing machine whilst doing puzzles with your kids? It's pretty quick, right? I mean, it's... <laughs> Give me three it's, hours. It's, it's, <laughs> so that's, that's complicated. So even though if, like, let's say, oh, you can, you're allowed to play next week, yeah, fantastic. But that means they're not going to be the full Bayonne side. Like you said, they need absolutely everything to stay up, to keep their project going and all that. No problem. But they're also the politics behind it is that 
the world of rugby is going to be transformed in the next couple of seasons, right? I mean, we've sort of addressed it from time to time, private equity investments. Um, and I just saw that there's apparently another private equity company that's going to take 15% of the ABs. A shit ton of money is going to be chucked For into huge world money. Huge money. I think it was $1.3 billion valuation and they're taking 15%. Boom, fa. And so basically it's like, you, you've got, you know that something's going to change and there's not too many dates. And from the start, what I've told you is that top 14 are like, oh yeah, when they talked about, you know, uh, aligning the calendars, if they want to touch the top 14, it's going to be war. Well, this is precisely the same thing. They basically see it as is Europe or is us. So the reason why they want to jam pack this, this top 14 is that imagine we get to the end of the season at the speed at which it's going, there's going to be what? Some teams might have six games that they need to play. How the hell do you decide to say, you know, out of those six games, do you deserve to win, to lose, by bonus, not by bonus, whatever. So you can pretty much decide who's going to be qualified or not in the little boardroom by deciding do you allocate points or not. And they don't want to get there because then the broadcaster might be like, oh, listen, I paid 100 million for 100 games. So it's a, it's a tough, tough one. The last thing they want is to end up in this. So they're like, let's get rid of Europe and let's please, let's at least use those two weekends to, uh, to do it. When things are shit, it's back to a little bit of self-isolation of looking only at your front door. Self-preservation. Absolutely. And they're like, but what, what pisses me off is that it goes back to the same thing that they're not even allowing a little bit of change. Uh, Europe are not perfect. They're far from being perfect. And let, we need to address this whole Toulon Scarlets thing, which at the time, I didn't really know what was going on and actually felt bad for everyone because I wanted the game to happen. But I can't believe that the EPCR guy, the French guy, Vincent Gaillard, then came out saying, the game was clean, the game was clean, I can't believe they did this. And then you actually go into the details. Some Toulon boys rock up uh, at the stadium and some Welsh guys are telling us, oh, mate, yeah, we've got seven cases. It's not great. Mental. And then they're going to be forced to play. And three, and that's five days before Christmas, right? You have to think about the guys as being human beings. If you're going to have the chance to spend Christmas with, well, it's not the case in England, but in France, if you have the chance to spend with your in-laws or with your parents for this and that, the last thing, I don't care about catching it, but the last thing I want in the world is to give it to somebody who's vulnerable. You know, so you got to think about them. You got to be like, all right. And then when they dig even deeper, you realize they got tested once during that week. That's it. So that's what really pissed me off about this whole thing is literally, like I, we've said it from the start, right? Everybody needs to get tested all the time on the politics in france though obviously there is a timing issue because it wasn't announced until monday afternoon so first of all could it have been done earlier i know things are fast developing but but could it have been done sooner than sort of four days before a team was supposed to play on the friday and then you mentioned it obviously it came from the french government but then you mentioned the clubs having different motivating factors how involved were the clubs in this did it come just from the government or was there a an aspect of, of the clubs being involved as well so i don't know how linked it is but i know that 100 percent, for instance like philippe tayeb who's a special character at the best of times the president of bayonne he had no interest in this european stuff going ahead they don't have any interest so they've been pushing and leaning on top 14 lnr and then obviously it's caught wind and it's come the government side is coming and back them but there's like we talked about there's different agendas half of the clubs in the top 14 don't want to play european cup they have no interest the challenge cup they have absolutely no interest conversely teams like clermont benji you know fine well racing they'll be desperate to play so I think half the clubs are going to be over the moon. The other clubs are going to be really disappointed, but it's come from both directions. There's absolutely one half the clubs that have got no interest and have pushed straight from the get-go to get these games off. So I'd say both. And to answer your question, could it have been done sooner? Potentially, but I think like everybody's learning, like it's a process. I think we'd see in the UK, we see in France, we see globally, 
week by week, things are changing, changing restrictions are getting tougher in different countries. The UK now is completely different. Like France is completely free. We can do pretty much whatever we want. That's not to say that the second strain isn't going to arrive and things are going to change, but I think governments, governing bodies are moving week by week and learning and honestly flying by the seat of their pants. I don't know if you think yeah. any differently, but they don't know any better than us and everybody's just trying to do the best job they can. But it's it's just unprecedented, weird times. But I do think it's great that they've got the top 14 games back on, whereas Premiership Rugby haven't done that. I, I totally agree with you, Johnny. But just to answer your question, after that Bayern Leicester incident, like, like Johnny said, Tayeb was absolutely fuming. It, it, it wasn't just a game that got cancelled. The whole club was forced to shut Right, the, the whole Bayern rugby, professional rugby entity was forced to lock the door and, you know, to put a seal on it and be like, you guys stay home, do not move. Where, like Johnny said, in France, people are allowed to, with restrictions, with a curfew, with being careful and stuff, they're still allowed to live. They were completely shut, even the Anis, the back office and everyone, you know, like the whole entity. And, um, and so he got really, really pissed off about this, considering that it was a bit but given put on him and like Johnny said because they don't re- it's not their priority and they clearly want to survive in top 14 first he said if things stay like this I am not even if we reopen in January I am not playing the European Cup anymore Stade Francais pretty much said the same thing so this yeah. kicked up a massive fuss then there was a meeting just the, the uh, EPCR and the league they pretty much agreed actually to up that the testing policy of the EPCR to what is done in France so basically three times a week you do it on, sorry, it's twice a week if everything's okay, three times a week if there's a problem. So it's on the Monday, just after the game, and then test it again on the Wednesday, or is it 48 hours before the game, or I can't remember what it is. 72, I think, yeah. Yeah, so once that's done, that basically sparkled a little interest from, from somebody else. But what happened for this time, which is completely different, it's the first time, it's the Minister of Sport of France, not rugby in general. They just said uh, European traveling or, you know, any yeah, uh, sporting event yeah. against uh, particularly uh, the United Kingdom uh, teams has to stop. That's what they say. So it's the first time that it's the government who's basically leaning in and be like, listen, and that's why everybody then was like, oh, it's no more of the politics or, oh, it's the league. I'm the federation. No, I'm EPCR. I, it's me. It's me. I've got bigger balls than you do. No, no. Now it's, it's the minister of sport who rocked up. Is like, listen, this is much bigger than everything else. And let's stop. And I think what saves the Six Nations is that the first game is Italy-France, right? Or France-Italy. So there's no traveling into the UK. There's no traveling to England or to Ireland until the Ireland-France game, uh, which is then will be end of Feb or something. So that's the only thing that's giving a few weeks of breathing space to then figure out what's going on. But So that's the reason why, to answer your question, Tim, it could have not been done before because it's the first time the Minister of Sport rocks up. Is that, listen... Let's press pause now. We decide, and, and, and that's how it's going to be. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. And the top 14 is back. You mentioned it, Johnny. And there's been a bit of news, hasn't there? So um, you predicted it on this show a while back. Garbajosa, he's gone from Montpellier. He is, mate. But the, the writing was on the wall for so long. Um, from murmurs within the club, from people that worked with him. And results, they were just, I don't know. They were dreadful for so long. When you think about the raw ingredients and what they've got, their team... Arthur Vincent, Andre Pollard, who's injured just now, Louis Picamol. They've got one of the best squads in the top 14 and it just hasn't clicked. So called it a while ago, but not surprised. Um, and being replaced, obviously, with Philippe Saint-André. I mean, you've worked with him, Benji. I don't know if he's the best guy to come in and um, do the on-field stuff in terms of actual coaching. And no, I didn't think so either. Um, so it's a strange one for Montpellier. And I just feel as well, there's been so many coaches come through the doors um, and try to change things. I feel like so many people have persuaded Moed Altrad that they could be the person to take the club to the next level, but it's just never happened. And yeah, really, it's just strange. It's a strange club, strange times. It, it takes all the boxes, should be wonderful, but it just hasn't worked. So be interested to get our guest on and catch his thoughts on it because he's much closer to it than we are. You teed it up nicely, Johnny. Our guest should be able to give us a little bit of insight into the situation in Montpellier, hopefully. So let's get him on now. It's former Montpellier coach and Scotland and British and Irish Lions second row. Nathan Hines joins us. How are you? Very well, gents. How are we? We're good. We're good. So just, just fill us in. Where are you now? Where are you living? What are you up to? I'm in beautiful Cheshire. Well, not so beautiful. I went for run this morning. It was hosing down, but that's uh, pretty much every day. Lockdown, homeschooling, Zooming, like, like everyone else. So just adapting to everything. But uh, happy to be back in the UK. The kids are happy to be back at an English-speaking school. And um, so it's all good. You mentioned you went for a run. Has, uh, has Johnny got you signed up for um, Doddy Aid, putting the miles in? Uh, Johnny tried to recruit me, but there's no <laughs> way I'm joining his team. What? <laughs> I mean, Team South, obviously, because I'm from Gala. 
mate, you're the biggest <laughs> nomad I've ever met. You're 100% Team Exile. There's nobody more well, Team Exile than you. Mate, when I first came to Scotland, I was at Gala and they embraced me and I, and I embraced the culture and, and I, I couldn't join any other team. It couldn't be anything to do with the fact that you've seen the stats as well, Nathan, and you realise that Johnny's team are lagging behind quite a bit. Well, Johnny knows me uh, as a player and a coach and um, I've never looked at a stat in my life. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, Team South, not just to support Dottie, but yeah, I think uh, uh, Jim and, and Johnny are on the Exile team as well. Are you on the Exile team, Johnny? Yep. Head of recruitment, no less. But why, why aren't you in the Glasgow team? Are you ashamed of that? <laughs> no, not at all. I'll always be part of Glasgow, but I think right now my current situation, Nathan, um, very, very much in exile. Plus, I think they were absolutely bombing and they were trying to drag in anyone they could um, and that was it. They were happy to have me. So That was the reason why you tried to recruit me. You're, you're bombing and you tried to recruit anyone you could. Man, I'm just trying to help a struggling ship and in the end, we're raising money for fantastic charity, so it shouldn't matter. Exactly. I don't know why exactly. we're fighting. No, we're not. I've never... I- <laughs> We're not fighting, really, are we? We're just bickering like uh, like brothers, like brothers, aren't we? Like teammates. Nothing's changed. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm in Team South also, Nathan. Oh, you're just confused. You're confused got, is what you I are. Got, hang on. Let me let me finish because I got recruited by Rory Lawson. So I don't care about where we are. I think we're all, you know, brothers of humanity. And and so yeah. when, when he asked me to do it, I joined him because I know he's going to run 15 miles a day so I can do my 500 yards and I'll feel like it's, I'm in. The shots. You know, and it's all good. My, I count the steps going up and down, going up and down to grab a coffee from this uh, two, two level, two story high house. I think that's, uh, I should get a star for that. I completely agree that we're all doing a great job, Johnny, but it doesn't say a lot for your title as head of recruitment that neither Nathan or Benji are on your team. <laughs> They'd already signed up, mate. It's a lost cause. It's a lost cause. <laughs> Anyway, speaking of recruitment, before we got you on, Nathan, we were talking about Montpellier and Xavier Garbajosa leaving the club. And obviously you were there and you overlapped with him slightly. So just give us your take on, on the situation. Uh, I mean, it was not surprising seeing the results that they had. So um, it was a, a bit of an awkward one, really, because he was recruited with uh, Pepe Lafont, who came in at the same time, Pepe left the club as well uh, two months ago and just I think after a string of bad results and um, the president Ultrad just uh, decided that the only thing he could do was to let um, Xavier go. Now take us back a step because obviously you arrived at the same time as Vern. you finished top at the top 14 you lost the final against Cast. you were absolutely flying you pretty much won every game at home you were killing it go back to before Garbajosa why was Vern let go? Uh, well it's a, it's a yeah it's a long story which starts so we killed it in year one uh, most trials I think in top 14 and we won out all, all our home games got to the final uh, crapped the bed and uh, cast beat us and and Benji we, we know about cast how they can just limp their way to the, the final and like they beat us at home my last game at, at Claremont uh, they beat us at home in the barrage which was uh the only time I lost it at Master Michelin. That was the, the, the game where we lost the record of 77 home consecutive home wins at Master Michelin. They're the team to do it. That was it. And we were absolutely poo that day. And that, yeah. Um, but they didn't know how to play finals footy. And, and that's what they did against us. They barred up and smashed us. So, so in that second season, before the season started, so cast their first game after beat, losing to them in the final. It's everyone, you know, it's Canal Plus's dream to have the, the finalists play. And uh, the president has a presentation for us on the Thursday, basically asking us why we lost the game 
the year before oh. against Cast. And the president says, uh, lads, what's what's going on here? Why are you so rubbish? And then uh, obviously we lost against Cast <laughs> at home in game one. And what the catalyst was for the president, I think, was that we played a game against Perpignan uh, at home. Uh, Perpignan had won a game because they got promoted in the top 14. Right. They had won a game all year and uh, they beat us, which is obviously a, a, an amazing place to be as a coach. <laughs> as an assistant coach, you just sat well, back yeah. a little bit like, oh. No, not really. I mean, because the scrum got pumped. <laughs> so, and uh, the, the boys were looking. We had a meeting in the change room after the president was there. And he's like, guys, what, what's going on? But in the background, I think the president is, you know, he has got a lot of cash obviously. And he's got all his advisors and he listens to people. And I just think that he knows a lot about business, but takes advice about rugby. And I don't know how or why, but he just lost faith in, uh, in Vern, I suppose, or just starting to get the ball rolling and seeing if he could bring someone else to help uh, steady the ship, whether that was someone that's given that advice or not. Like I'm, I, I don't know, but uh, he's, He's pretty impatient, the president, so he wants results quickly. And I think that's been a bit of a problem for Montpellier. You know, you play there, Johnny, you know. So he wants to win the championship and he wants to win it pretty quickly. But I think that was the catalyst. The Prez got the ball rolling on finding a replacement for... Uh, bring someone in. I don't think it was to replace Vern, but make Vern in his head, director of rugby, bring someone in. who turned out to be Xavier. But what, what happened in the meantime between that game and end of the season is that we went on a really good winning streak where we finished, I think we finished 11 wins from 13 remaining games. And we finished on the last day beating Claremont at home, or Claremont in, in Claremont, which we were the only team that used to do it. And Cast lost at home that day. So we, we went and played a barrage at Leon. We subsequently we got pumped. <laughs> we had not, we had nothing in the tank. Basically we were playing a final every week for the last three months. So three or four months. But, you know, I think after a difficult start of the season, we managed to pull it back. And I'm pretty sure the president didn't think that we were capable, the players were capable of doing it, and we did. So, obviously, it's too late to, to pull out. Uh, Xavier was, was brought in with a, a, uh, he was a Ford's coach. I mean, obviously, uh, there was a year left to go, and he brought in uh, Pepe Lafont and, and Xavier came in year, year three. Yeah, but I, I love, like, obviously I've been there as well. And what I get with Moed is you've obviously got this man with incredible wealth, an incredible amount of business ability, acumen, uh, get up and go and start. He's a lovely bloke as well. Yeah. But you, you can't be let in a room to talk about rugby. Like, he did it two or three times when I was there, and you just want to, you know, no, just stop him, somebody. I know he's the president, but just somebody stop him getting in the room because he just kills it. He flattens everything. He's got no idea of rugby culture or how to talk or rugby people and it's horrendous um and i don't know just everything at Montpellier. it could be one of the best clubs in europe yeah no doubt it's got everything to, to draw people to it um it's got wealth it's got a fantastic stadium it's a beautiful place to live it's got the beach but just i don't know what you get there and it's just the infrastructure or there's an off vibe or you feel like there's something dubious or underhand going on and you never quite get your finger on it and then obviously you have every two years, somebody come in and try and pull the wool over Moed's eyes and make him believe that he is the Messiah and he can win the top 14. And it just is a constant circle and a nasty cycle. That's the thing. I mean, I, I think if he 
to settle on a, a coach or a, coach or a staff that could uh, have some sort of continuity and, and you know, make it that um, the players, but the players. <laughs> so what you're saying, people aren't, aren't safe there really. Because uh, before even, when I left the SA, Scotland, Vern and I got there early. Uh, Alex King and Ian Vass were, they came a little bit later. So we watched the barrage for the, the previous year. They're racing at home, they got beat. But what had happened as well, there were some players that we we didn't want in our squad. The GIF quota was changing, um, the salary cap and all that. So we knew there was players that were, that were leaving. The president had told them. No one had told them. So they had... <gasps> I know this story. This is awesome. Go, I got yeah. This is right, great. Mate, it's, not, it's not awesome if you're a player, mate. And it's not awesome if you're a coach coming in. The president didn't want to tell them. I don't know if Jake White wanted to tell them if it was his uh, it's his decision, which you know, it does make a difference, really. So we watched the barrage on a Saturday, on a Saturday, and then the president said, we're going to have a meeting on Monday afternoon to introduce you, you and Nathan to, to the team uh, before they go on holiday. We didn't know that none of the players that weren't going to be there the next year hadn't been told yet. So the players had a barbecue organised for the Monday and it got out in the press about players leaving or being let out of the contracts. And some of the players were, were looking, were having, having food and they were looking at the phones going, mate, what, what's going on here? And then going on. And then they got a tap on the shoulder from the director general at the time and said, oh, can we have a chat? So obviously it sort of blew up then that the players found out in the press that they were being let go. And um, like, like you're saying, Johnny, it just has no, I mean, rugby you know, is feeling in rugby, you know, there's managing people and we're most the most people you know, have that respect where you, you know, I mean, I'm honest honestly you tell me how it is and then we can get over it but mate that was that was quite tough so I remember uh getting to the stadium I think it would have been about three o'clock obviously boys living in their cars and and then basically they hit the fan and then the president had a meeting with the players and um is Vernon I there he's introducing us and one of the most awkward meetings I've ever been in my life where guys have just been told to to leave. They're, they're not coming back to the club and then not knowing this months in advance where they could find a club. They've just been told, boys, you're not coming back. The remaining players are really annoyed that uh, they've been told the way they have been and they're pissed off with the president. And the president goes, okay, boys, so uh, that's happened. We'll move on next year. He's these two coaches. I want to talk to you. Uh, so it was, it was awkward. It was really awkward. That's the lack of empathy. The lack of that's empathy. It, so, like, so, so rugby, everywhere in the world, rugby talks about values, culture, a sort of unwritten code, trust that we have with each other. And that is just... That's one of the things that we haven't gone into yet in the podcast. Benji, I can see your head in your hands. You're going to love this. But it's one thing that in other parts of the world is slightly more respected or there's a bit more respect for players. Whereas because it's so businesslike, because it's presidents that have big companies and they're very much used to, how can you say this, almost transactional leadership. Well, I pay this guy off. He gets his that's payout. It. He should be sweet. But that's not the way it is. There's an effect and there's an emotions behind these things that have a ripple effect and a butterfly effect on everyone in the squad, they're feeling the vibe and then how that club is viewed by all other teams. And that's it. Montpellier is just one of those teams for one reason or another. And there's a few of them in France that has that. And it's that for me, it's transactional leadership. Oh, you know, I've paid him off in June. Like he's going to get his full year contract. He should be happy. Mate, no, he's got a wife. He's got three kids. They have a house that they've bought here. They're happy. Yes. And I find the club or 
continue playing his like Antoine Batut's a good example. He was one of the blokes. Yeah. Wife, two kids, has to find a club and find a team and a job in three months. Otherwise, he's forcibly retired effectively because you can't find a team. And who wants a bloke that hasn't played for you? And it's just mental. Like Benji, I want to chuck this to you because I can see you're gagging to get in. No, but it's it's we we spoke we spoke we spoke about Marvin O'Connor already. Remember, he got sacked three times <laughs> yes. at three consecutive clubs, and he got yeah, three three-year three deals. And the, the big, the big answer France. from all those more Altrad is like, why are you going to complain? I just wrote you a check for 150 grand, 200 grand, whatever it is. You know, dry your eyes and move on. Well, it, I know this is fun. And Heinze, you were in the middle of it. And I'm sure at the time you were not laughing at all because that is heartbreaking shit. But it yeah. really, really pisses me off to hear that again and again. Because how long ago? That was three years ago, right? When, when Vernon that was, was three there and years all that. Ago, yeah. And he's just repeatedly, repeatedly, and he's the same guy that was in a lawsuit with Fabian Galtier for two and a half years and ended up paying yeah. it off for a couple and of And then Jake White and like, never ending. Wow, J Jake White should have never been there in my, my opinion, but that's just, just my, my opinion. <laughs> but the, basically it's just, what pisses me off is that it's repeatedly the same thing, you know? And it's really, it's, this is crushing my soul in, in terms of beautiful place. There's a huge academy that you forgot to mention that brings yep. some fantastic players out that are really, really good. There's a really, uh, how do you say, fierte, uh, very right. proud region around right. around yes. around the, the club and the values that it gives and stuff. And there's a really strong legacy, you know, from the past of this cool club that came back from, I mean, the Louis Picamol era, all those guys that came from second division, the Fufu Drago and all that, yeah. and brought this club back to where it should be. Then you bring one of the biggest French businessmen uh, success of the last decade, who should be there, not only because he's got a lot of cash, obviously, but he definitely knows a few things about business, right? You can't take that away from him. But then when a guy like that can make so many mistakes repetitively, again, then, I mean, don't get me into launch into this, but uh, dips his fingers with the Federation in the most dodgy way you could possibly think. You know, that <laughs> really puts... Put, uh, allegedly, obviously, but you know, and, and and really puts. I don't think these guys realize that the shadow that it puts on the whole of French rugby. It's not just Montpellier. It just it just makes us look like idiot because you make you make the players um, only be um, money driven because you're like, oh, listen, if they didn't kick mo much more of a storm and actually burn the club down, that means all they care is about their welfare. Yes, but when you turn around and your missus is like, oh, what are we doing next year? And she's mortified. Then you pull the check out. Yeah, listen, we'll be all right for a couple of months. Don't worry. Uh, you know, we can sort the kids out. It's not, we're not jumping off a cliff right now. And that's, you, you got to know that the guys have got to take care of their own ones, right? Then you've got, you got, you got Heinze. You're going to be like, oh, but they let go. They let go, Vern. How could you possibly do that? But you're in the same, you're in the same wheel. You got to work. You got to keep on going. We've we got to make out of the best out of a shitty situation. So basically, I think, really do think it's like you let the wolf into the, the den, or I don't know how you say that, you know, yep. le, le Parc aux Agneaux. And then, and, and we're just letting, letting those Parcours mistakes be done. <laughs> you know, you're just, let, you're just letting those, those mistakes be repeated yeah. all and all and all the time. And I mean, listen, Heinze, I played with you in Clermont. We had a great time and Vern was there. But you, and we were not perfect in Clermont by a mile. Not, not by a mile. But at least you could walk in and speak to Vern. You could walk in and speak to the president at the time. You could speak to Jean-Marc Larmier, I think it was at the time. And you knew you were going to have an honest answer, right? You knew there yep. wasn't going to be any backstabbing about, listen, you know, shut your mouth now. We forget about who you are. We forget about how many kids you've got. We forget about what you've done in your life. And we're just going to chuck you out the window. It's not perfect at all. But there's a tiny bit more respect that actually makes me feel a little bit more warm inside about recommending rugby to other people. Recommending, yep. I mean, you've got son. Uh, you know recommending them to go play in Montpellier in 10 years time right now you're like oh stay stay somewhere else you know 
Well, it's a couple of things, Benji. Like, I think for 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 rugby players as well, you, you can't be half in. You can't be half into to playing. It's the sport's hard enough as it is, right? So if constantly you feel like you've got a red dot on you, you're not going to invest yourself emotionally or physically in, into into your club. I mean, the president brought in um, uh, Johan Goosen, who's he's a good, good bloke, but we had to get through. We had to get rid of two players to fit him in the salary cap. Two players that were that we wanted to keep because they're really good for the squad. Obviously, we're forced to do that because the president listen had some advice and brought him in, or, or even you know that's a whole other story about about Goose and Racing ninety two. Get into so. it. That's a great one. Come on, <laughs> yeah. give us the depth well, on that one because everyone really wants to know. I don't know the story on that one, mate. Oh, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't actually. No, I don't know the story on that one. That was uh, done. I think that would have been done before we well, would have been done before we were there. But the funny thing is, a bit of a story is uh, on that when we played Racing ninety two start of the season in my third year and um, they welcome in the, in the change room they welcome back former uh, racing players and goose's name wasn't on there well obviously i wrote it up because that that was quite rude but um yeah they don't, you're so not, awkward man yeah i, I am it's just me mate you know i know um, just be a pain in the neck and then um yeah so obviously that's they're still a little bit sore about that but going back to the so the emotional security thing is as well like i think that's a problem if you kind of keep re- repeating the cycle benji like you're saying you know you get a coach in you get rid of him you get another coach in jake white it came in he decimated the academy at montpelier we got there and there was like zero there was no players whatsoever all the good players from montpelier playing all the clubs in top 14 now and they're, and they're amazing he came in he brought in south africans to to bump up that was a different time with the salary cap and the GIF, uh, which caught up to us when we started. I just, like you say, it's a great place. It could be an amazing club, but no one invests themselves fully because they're just fearful of that transactional leadership saying, well, I paid you for this. You do this. If you don't do it, then leave. Johan Gusen, to some of the situation, was a racing player, decided mm-hmm. to do the dodgiest thing possible, fly back to South Africa, pretend that I'm ret- retiring from professional rugby, whatever, to get out of a long-term deal to sign somewhere else, yeah? Even Bujilal and Lorenzetti, who are not the cleanest blokes in the world, said the club who will sign Yuan Gusen is led by a thief, is led by a mob, you know? Yep. And then all of a sudden you see Montpellier boom, 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 <laughs> coming through and, and they signed him. And how did they do it? I think they may, must have paid him in Safa for a while and then get him to come back. Whatever they did, like you said, that's that's mm. like that will be part of, the, of, of, a, of a good book in a couple of seasons. But... That's the impact that it's got, like you said, to shine back onto, onto the, the lack of trust in the whole organization. Because, you know, if you're part of the club that does that, you're like, oh, shit, it's us again. If you know that the president comes up a statement saying, Nathan Heiss has got nothing to worry about his job, you know, he'll be fine. And three weeks later, he's sacked. That's what he did to Garbajosa, right? After the, well, the fourth well. sack, and he did the same thing to Werner. So that basically, you cannot trust. So my question is, there's zero trust from the players to the president, for sure. So, like you said, they're le cul entre deux chaises, the ass between two seats. They don't know where they're yep. going. You know, they're a bit, they're a bit scared, and obviously that impacts their their fully full commitment to the team to give your soul and your passion, and your heart every week in week out, for sure. But does it also shine on you guys as a management as a coaching squad because you're basically the link between the president and the players, right? Does that prevent uh, from the players to actually trusting? In, in trusting the, the coaching setup because they were above or not? Because let's face it, no. Montpellier has always been a tough place to play, right? It's not been about physicality. Physicality has never been the problem. But you could just tell that there was just that little bit of thing that wasn't clicking, apart from what you mentioned, that last stretch of season where you end up beating 
Mon, uh, Clermont in Clermont for my last game in Clermont. Thank you very much. And then you you lost yeah. in the barrage against Lyon, and you had you needed like consecutive wins just 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 to fit in. And I remember Mohamed Awas, the the French prop, scoring a try at 81st minute against that Francais who got you a bonus point. Oh mate, it was ridiculous. It was a ridiculous, a ridiculous story. And then there's a kickoff, and he picks it up, and he scores last minute, and then you get that bonus point that allows you to score. So that's when I felt there was a bit of glue in in yeah. in in that squad. And so my question is, does that lack of glue, is it impacted? Is the relationship coaching players, is it, is it as impacted as uh, president players? No, I think what, what Vern did really, really well is he served as a barrier between uh, the president and the players. He said, look, boys, we are rugby. The president is the president. He said, we have to look after one thing, and that's us. And whatever happens outside, is what happens outside. We can't do it. So, and he, Vern, uh, even as, as a coaching group, Vern absorbed a lot of shit from the prayers that we didn't even know about. So he did a lot of work just being that buffer between um, everyone. But I think the reason why we came back like that is because we, as a group, playing and coaching group, we respected each other and we knew that there was a good relationship between us. I mean, it was, it was brutal at times and, and, and always honest, as you know, Benji being coached and, and Beats being coached by Vern. But I think that the investment that players had with us was uh, was different than how they feel with um, with the Perez. How is Vern? Uh, mate, he's in New Zealand. He's in COVID-free New Zealand on the farm. So, mate, he's, he's amazing. Can you actually see Vern coaching Fiji? I think either he's going to have a heart attack, either he's going to kill one of them, but something's going to happen. Or, sorry, or he might be the first coach to actually transform them into a hell of a side. I think um, he's changed a lot since he first came to Montpel uh, to Claremont, uh, Benji, but still very intense. And I think the good thing about BC as well, he understands the culture of where he go, where he goes. So he he learns a lot. He likes to read and be informed about. You know, the culture of Claremont or Scottish um, history, Scottish culture, the Montpellier and Fiji. Obviously, Fiji's got a massive culture. So um, I think he un he makes a real effort to understand the people that he coaches. Um, and I think it's good for him as well that it's international. So it's not week on week on week on week on week. But he loves coaching. And I, and I was part of the coaching group in the, on the uh, successful Barbas tour. Uh, <laughs> 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 I was going to bring that up, yeah. No losses. No losses. At some point, if you're part of the, the, the shit every time, Wagga, you got to look at yourself, mate. I, you gotta, I have. Don't something. worry, Benji. I have. Don't worry. Every day. Um, that's another story. We'll go to that later. But Vern will be really, he'll do really well in engaging with them and, and, and upskilling them and getting them to play decent rugby. So um, I'm happy that he's got the job. Mate, you, you touched on something really interesting with Vern and it's the psychological aspect like I would say he's weird like most people that have been coached by Vern would say he's a weird guy but he's a good guy he's a straight guy but he's a little bit weird and it's the psychological aspect I love that the way he came into Scotland and he'd be like no boys deep like obviously because it's a tiny there's like Glasgow Edinburgh your little bubble your strength is that you know each other and um, you tap into the fact that your clans and you know like he was really good and adept at mentally getting involved with whatever squad he had and bringing the best out be using different different things that's what I loved about Vern he also nearly broke me though um in that you said psychologically he is tough but psychologically there's different ways of dealing with different people and I remember I think it was my second last Six Nations game I think he, he did break me actually I think he was the last coach to pick me and he was the last one but we we're in the tunnel and he was like oh Beats can you come in here and um we'll just have a chat and he took me into you know in the tunnel at Murrayfield you've got all the names everyone's caps and then 
there's that little like boot room where the coaches change their boots before you go out into team run. Uh, it was uh, change room, change room three. And he pulled me, pulled me in there. Two, this is my second last game, Six Nations for Vern. He was like, "Is there any chance you could watch Fritz Lee?" And play a bit more like him <laughs> <laughs> and that was it he obviously was so or he wasn't getting what he wanted he was like mate like if you could parise if you could watch sergio parise or fritz lee and just try and be a bit more like them and the way you play like i'd really appreciate it and that, that was it. two games later never seen again thanks for coming burn thanks for having me man he absolutely I, he, he's definitely got his own management style mate i was speaking to my mum the other day and um I told her about obviously about um, Xavier and 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 stuff. He said that you know it was good. He, he helped you you know build your confidence. So I said, Mum, Vern didn't help me build my confidence. Vern made me build my own confidence because that's the way he does stuff. <laughs> you know, he's you know he's brutally honest and he does it from a place of love and well, most of the time. But everything he does is what he thinks is, is the best for the team. And and that's you know, sometimes it's hard to hear. I mean. Brutal, brutal, brutal coach, yeah. Coaches' meetings were, were brutal as well, mate. You think you had it tough as a, as a player, different gravy when you're when you're one of his assistants. But the thing is, he just wants you to be better. He he wants the team to be better, and and that's just the way he does it. So, but like you're going back to the to the story thing. I think he just tries to tie in, tries to make find the identity of the squad, the team, where he's coaching tries to tie it in with the history of where you are. And I think that gives everyone a higher purpose and, and gives everyone in the squad, um, um, you know, a sense of something bigger than themselves. And I've got, I've got videos that my analysts put together when we're with Scotland, just about Scotland, you know, and about being Scottish and, and, and it makes you cry every time you watch it. Cause you just have that, that feeling. And it doesn't matter if it's what video it is or where you are, you, that emotional lever is something that Vern's really good at. And mate, also, I was going to say, the feeling you got, even though he didn't really enjoy me much as a player, which I understand, you can't be everyone's cup of tea. You're not Fritz Lee, mate. You're not my cup of tea either, right? No, I'm not anyone's cup of tea. <laughs> but you 100% got that vibe. Whereas I would have been really, I would have struggled to then have a coffee with him or have a glass of wine. But you two actually became really good mates. Like on and off, like you have a few glasses of red together, like you chill out together. You got on really well. Yeah, we did. Um, I don't know. I don't know how it came about, really. Uh, I didn't spend any time outside of rugby with him when I was at Claremont, Benji, apart from one time. After, actually, after the, the cast game, he invited me around to his house and said, mate, uh, where did we go wrong? We had two 52-year-olds in the locks, but, mate, they were hanging in there. So they, they weren't really there Monday, Tuesday, but by Saturday, they were there and they're properly there. Mate, so you're full of shit. Lucky. I had... The orange card that Vern used to come in, he goes, mate, you want an orange card today? You get your, I know you're old, you don't want to play, you know, and I'm trained here. And like, I'm like, and obviously, he knows that he says anything, like, you can't do that. I'm like, well, yes, I can. So every, <laughs> I think I missed, I missed two trainings. I missed two trainings. I had a broken toe that I had to get an injection for to train because I couldn't walk without it. But he's like, mate, you, yeah, you can just stay in, mate, just stay in. You, you, you and Jumon can does stay. That all the time. I know. He does that all the time. But he's a poking you, mate. He's poking you, but which works with some people and doesn't and doesn't with others, but definitely worked with me. And then, but yeah, we did have a few glasses of wine. We had barbecues and stuff. And and he, he was good at um like we had the staff came around to to his house and got people together and and stuff. So he's not he's not as uh, weird as probably you think he is, Beats. <laughs>
He's probably he's just he's just he didn't want to talk to you. <laughs> I don't blame him, mate. He's really close him. to Fritz Lee, though. I don't blame yeah. him either. Yeah, he ran a couple of times. <laughs> You've spent most of the last ten years with him, uh, with Vern Nathan. So has he tried to take you to Fiji or not? No, no, mate, no, he hasn't. So obviously he's, he's learned that I'm crap at coaching. So <laughs> yeah, that's that's why I don't do it anymore. Uh, no, he's got some good assistants, so way better than me. I've spoken to him. Uh, obviously on the Fiji or the uh, Barbarians trip as short as it was but uh, yeah nothing nothing to do with Fiji How gutting was that trip the Barbarians trip and the way it all unfolded and oh, mate it's just disappointing really wasn't it I mean we all signed up to the week in the uh, rubbish hotel that we were staying with and drinking together in the, in the team room uh, you know we signed up for that and then you know it's just disappointing that players felt the need to go outside of, of the hotel so uh, disappointed for the the guys that the, the Fijian guys who the first time out of Fiji Mate. they come to London play a game against England and they get and they get told they can't play so no, I was really gutted for them but uh yeah it was a bit the thing is we were lucky to be able to have that game on lucky to for these guys to be here and I, it's just I think it's just disappointing is the word, mate. I'm not angry, disappointed. <laughs> One of those dead ones. But yeah, it was the other thing that really um, made it uh, difficult for me to, to watch, especially when I saw the video on Twitter, is that the boys are having a great time. Like having drinking games and stuff. But that would have been awesome if it was in a t- Yeah, but it would have been better if it was in a hotel. You know, like why couldn't we done it there? You normally sneak out of the hotel because you want a beer and the coaches don't let you. But when you're on the bar bars and you say, boys, Let's get stuck in the beers and have you know have have a have a chat, you know that's the disappointing thing as well. And you've given us a good insight into what Vern is like as a bloke. Presumably, he laid the rules of the bubble out to everyone very clearly. How did he take it? Yeah, he was he was bitterly disappointed, like myself. I mean, he didn't. Uh, the Barbers made it very clear before you turned up the the rules and regulations. And Monday, they got told exactly what was happening. So, uh, Vern's an early sleeper especially as a bit jet lag from New Zealand. So I was up when the the security guard told me the boys had been out. So I was like, Oh God, I had to put my poker hand down and get up, get, get up from the poker table and sort this out. But um, <laughs> yeah, so we had to go wake him up and, and he thought we were joking at the start because he would never have thought that that would happen as either. You know, you put your trust in people um, and you, you think that they'd be able to, to follow through. Obviously we had to try and, 12 players as it turned out with 13 but 12 players on the Thursday before the game to replace the 12 that had been out we managed to do that and we found out there was another player that uh, well there are a few on the, on the Thursday so they couldn't on the Friday so they couldn't do it because it was too much of a risk but you know we had to pull it together and I think that after that effort the second effort to get everyone back get the players that had to leave back in was I think he was just really disappointed that he couldn't um, give the opportunity for the, the guys who uh, managed to stay in the hotels and follow the rules. We've uh, we've drifted quite a long way from um, Xavier Garbajosa <laughs> there, but, um, <laughs> but going, going back to your relationship with him, um, when you left Montpellier, obviously you did overlap with him for a while. You've you've spoken publicly about how you know you you weren't compatible as maybe as blokes, but definitely as coaches. Um, so just give us an insight into how it all unfolded with you leaving and and what your relationship like was like with him. I mean, from the start. Uh, we had a camp in Tinia and we drove up. Uh, and, look, it's difficult 
so we knew it was a bit of a shit sandwich that Xavier and Pepe came were coming in. We knew we had one year left. We we knew Vern had been moved upstairs, but we're like, okay, well, this is a this is a situation we're in. Let's just let's just do this because you know it might not be that bad. He might be all right, all right, bloke. He might have some good ideas, and and we've done we've done a lot of work in the two previous years. We found out what worked, what what didn't. We knew the players really well, and then we went up to Tinia. They left early, so Pepe and Xavier left early in in a van. We drove up in vans, the coaches and the staff drove up in vans. They took they took one. They stopped off at. Uh, Grenoble for for, for lunch. We found out the end afterwards, and and we got there, and they, and Pepe and Xavier were working on their game plan, and and that was clear from the start that they were like Xavier was trying to piss up piss on his patch, which is fine, but we didn't really include us at the start, saying, "Well, boys, what, 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 if, look, I can't say, but if it was me, I'd go and say, and I'm going into two coaches that are already there. We're sort of a little bit." gun shy because it's a bit of a crappy situation you find out what worked what didn't try to make us you know bring us on side managers of people and and trying to get the best out of us knowing that we're probably not going to be there in a year and he could use that to be better obviously it didn't work out that way because he was like working on stuff and we tried to have a, a team a, a coaches meeting and it ended up being that he's tell, they telling us what to, what we're going to be doing and so it was pretty clear from the outset and then um there was not much, yeah, not much bonding going on. I think we climb up a mountain in Tin and we come back down. And, and this is the kind of thing that, you know, we all know about rugby. Like we do something hard, we have a beer together. Like whether we're playing on the same team or, or on, on a different team. So we climbed this mountain, which was the team we're going to do. But we send them up in gondolas and the, and the coaches, right? We said, we'll, we'll do it. Came back and went down to the the, the cafe on, on the lake there. Right, boys, let's have a beer, you know. End of, end of a hard day it's been and uh and we all had beers and i think xavier had a carrier and um and pepe had a coke and you're like oh okay and then he told the boys they couldn't go out for a beer after after at, at training after training this is obviously pre-covid so that's when you could interact the outside your outside your room so he said, and i'm like oh so it just became awkward right from the start and we're like okay fine like we could maybe it's just um because he's new and he doesn't really know us and stuff, but it just it didn't really get much better from there. To be fair, sounds crap. Note to all the coaches out there: if you go to Teen with your with your team, Teen is in the French Alps, right? And there's a fantastic Beautiful. setup in the summer to train, fantastic facilities. Uh, when you go, definitely have a few beers. Remember the Clermont season two years ago, where they were really shit. Uh, after yeah. I left, obviously. Oh, they're only shit when you left, mate. They were good when you were there. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, they they basically they 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 had the same issue as that a big long day. Frank was scared because a lot of leadership uh, had left the team. There was a lot of youth within. It was the World Cup year and all that, and uh, and after a big massive week and stuff, there was the, the there was a fete. There was a what do you call that? Like a, Festival. a, a regional party or I don't know. You know how you call that in um, in in Tigny every year. And that was in front of their hotel. And the boys were allowed one beer and then go back home. And that created frustration and this and that. Oh, you're not allowed. And, you know, we don't understand. We're not kids. And at the same time, once you train hard, you deserve your treat and all that. So basically, long story short, whenever anybody goes into a camp, if you want to build a team, I'm not saying get absolutely trashed, you know, and and and, and get absolutely mental, but allow your boys to have a few beers. It's a big part of rugby, right? I think it is a big part of rugby. And, and that's Vassy and I, Ian Vass and I, uh, like we went out 
that night and had a beer because to get to conversation, to get to relax. Um, like we didn't have to have a beer to talk, but, you know, just get out of the hotel and, and talk about the day. And, and it was just, it was pretty rubbish, mate, to be fair. And uh, the boys sort of knew it. They knew the situation we were in anyway with new coaches coming in. But that was the, the hard bit for, for us. Well, Bassey ended up going to Northampton in, in November because they he, he fell out with with uh, Xavier because he, Xavier tried to change the defence system and obviously or questioning Ian on his defensive system and trying to change it where Ian's responsible for the defensive system. So if he, um, but then he, he's had another opportunity in Northampton. So he left in November, leaving me on my Todd with, um, with three French coaches, which was amazing. And um, pretty much hate in life <laughs> ended up being, well, even when Vassi was there, talk about the racing game, um, it changed the way we did like a, a boost before, you know, you do, pre-match stuff change all that stuff uh and Vassy and i didn't know so we turned up at the thing and they're doing all these stuff i'm like mate did you know anything about this and they're like no so they've had a they had meetings then about changing the, the stuff that we didn't know about obviously i found out that they had selection meetings without me and, and all sorts of stuff so that <laughs> it, sucks. Was pretty, it was pretty good but pu- again the proof is in the pudding obviously he's been sacked but his inability to co-work or think of the greater good and his fight to sort of micromanage or control he's been sacked so yeah do you know what i mean and the, like the, the, the what the product that he again he came from la rochelle where with patrice colazzo they played from, from some fantastic rugby but none of that shone through at Montpellier. so then what transferred onto training pitch was actually the ending that was seen to be good or perceived as productive from La Rochelle make its way over to Montpellier or was it just something completely no. clean that he tried to do and just did not work? He didn't work. He, I think he tried to play from everywhere. There's no real detail around stuff. The best way to describe it is Toulouse 1995 or 2005. That's the way he wanted to play. Offloading, no rucks, that kind of stuff. But he just didn't have the team to do it. And rugby sort of changed. We didn't have a scrum to do it. He couldn't, he couldn't dominate in the, in the scrum. We even hold. Uh, have parity in the scrum, especially made errors in the first half. And there's just no strategy to a game. I mean, even like this, going back to the, the game against La Rochelle just a couple of weeks ago where they got beaten, the strategy was to play around them. They played in a hurricane. They played it like, it was so, <laughs> and that all knew, they knew all week it was going to be wet, windy, it was going to be rubbish. And the, the strategy was play around them. And it's just a mistake. So we, we wanted success and we didn't really, we could put that personal stuff aside, even though that, it's difficult to work with some with people. You try and put that personal stuff aside just so we can win. And one of the lowlights for you was, uh, I think it was about three games in and I uh, had a meeting. I think we lost two lineouts on in the attacking 22. And bearing in mind, I think we're like second or third. Well, our lineout was quite good. Second or third were quite inventive. I think we lost two lineouts and that really annoyed him because obviously by the time we get to the, the, the five-meter line of the lineout, we work so hard to get there by not because we've played for our own try line that he's expecting us to score a try. So we missed two lineouts in three games. He's like, right, this is shit. Um, um, Nathan, I'm going to get you have to consult with Vern now. Uh, he has you have everything you do has to go through him. Uh, bearing in mind that Xavier told Vern he doesn't want anything to do with him because he doesn't want it's, it's his team and he wants him just to stay up in the office and not come back. <laughs> so, so that was interesting dynamic as well. He came down with the coaches' meetings every, every now and then at the start but then didn't come back again so he said run everything through Vern Vern's going to make all the decisions but you can still have the pleasure of talking to the players I, I didn't really know how to react and then um, I, I let it go and I was like that's just just wrong so 
that's just the kind of thing. I didn't really enjoy him as a human. I didn't think um, we definitely weren't compatible as coaches. And um, yeah, it was pretty, pretty bad time. <laughs> so everything, but, oh, actually, sorry, I forgot the bit to ask to say about the Savon et la Fonche. So that's the, that's the, sorry, the disappointing for me, the thing that the president said about the assistant coaches that were in place when Xavier came along, that we set him up for a fall, which was a bit disappointing because we said that to the president that we were quite happy to work with him to the best of the team, but there's no way we weren't doing anything that was not for the best of the team. So I think as people, um, Vassy and I, um, Marty, the analyst, you know, it's not against, as it goes against who we are and what we, what we would do, but that was a disappointing thing because it was, wasn't the case. But for form word, form word to say that that's obviously come back to him. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Osa. Mate, in the same time, he, he, you, you could see with, with Galtier, remember in the whole lawsuit, he said, I asked Fabian Galtier to uh, do me an explanation, to write me a report on the explanation why the team wasn't doing well. So, okay. Then he did the same thing with Vern. I asked Vern to actually address me in a PowerPoint presentation or to send me a report about why is the team blah, 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 blah. And then same thing that you mentioned earlier in the, in the chat. I asked Xavier this, this, and this, and that. So basically, I think he's only doing it to cover his ass legally. In case there's a lawsuit, he wants to be like, listen, I have actually asked him to, he did not produce it. That's it. Remember, because that's the excuse he got for sacking Xavier. He said, I sat with Philippe Saint-André and Xavier, asked them to produce a report. They didn't. You know, she's only trying to to do this. So basically, yeah. long story short, I think it's he's just trying to cover his ass, right? And I don't really, I don't really care what they say anyway, because um, the thing is that you got to be comfortable with what you what you do, who you are, and and what you put into anything you do. And and I know, and Vassy know that, mate. We did everything, everything we could to make that team successful. Copping all the shit from Xavier and the president, and you know, I, I like the president you know, some of the stuff that he does does cause you problems. But um, mate, I'm not really bothered about the, the comments because I know the, know the truth. So. so going back to better times anyway, better times, let's talk about your playing days briefly because you obviously moved over to France and you were successful with Perpignan and you won the top 14. But there's a story there, isn't it? Because you, you left there because you went on the British and Irish Lions tour. You couldn't play in the final, the last stage of the season. So just talk us through what happened there. Um. So the year before, so 2008, was Christophe Porcu. He led this huge uh, remontada, I don't know how you'd say that, a comeback from for Perpignan. They had a, a basically a camp in the mountains. Ben, Benji wasn't team. It was uh, Matamal, I think. And they got on the steam and came together. They had a fight against Stade Francais, and that was a catalyst for coming back and getting into the finals that, into the finals that year. Um, so we played uh, Clermont in Marseille and it was 36 degrees. Uh, Jacques Brunel was a coach at the time. He put me on the bench. I was raging. Like I was, <laughs> I was raging. Vern was coaching again for Claremont against us that day. And it was probably the first time I met him actually. And he's like, mate, why didn't they pick you? So I was still a little bit bitter from that really, from being benched and being pumped by Claremont in Marseille. And, and so when the year after we were win the league, Dan Carter, fire starter was, in, was at the club, even though he was injured. And um, we will go. We were definitely going to make the finals, but because it was Lions' year, Geach was coaching, and you know there was sort of whispers that I might be in with a shout. Um, Geach did ask me if uh, I 
was picked, would I choose staying for, to play for the finals or uh, the Lions tour? And I said, well, I would go Lions tour because, you know, that I was, I played rugby till I was 68 years old and I was probably 40 then. It was never going to happen again. But, you know, at least I might have another shot with the top 14 if Perpignan by chance got to the, like, A, played me in the finals or got to the final or won. So um, I said, I'd definitely go. And that's something you just don't pass up, you know. So I went on tour. During that time, Brian O'Driscoll said to me, look, Michael Checker has been in touch with me and he wants to know, would you be interested in coming to Leinster? I had one year left in my contract at Perpignan. I was like, well, when you want to go to Leinster, you know, great team. And, and um, but I've got one year left. But that that year, all that year that we were successful in 2009, Chris Custer was coming out of contract. They didn't want to resign. Perkins didn't want to resign him. And he, I think he went back to Glasgow, didn't he? Beats, I think. Yeah. So because he was leaving, they didn't play him. And that, that was rubbish for him. He was trying to get, get back in the Scotland team. And I was like, oh, shit, I don't want to spend an, a year on the bench because Jacques is annoyed that I didn't go to play for the finals. And I said, look, mate, if Perpignan are happy to let me go, I will, I would gladly go to Leinster. So I left Perpignan as a Perpignan player and then went back to Perpignan, packed up my stuff and went to Dublin. And so when you'd agreed verbally to go on the Lions tour, you obviously then have to have the conversations with Jacques Brunel, with the president of Perpignan and say you're not available for the phase finale. How did that conversation mm-hmm. go down? Like they must've been pretty unhappy. Uh, yeah, but they, they understood that I wanted to do it. I mean, Bernard Guta was uh, the coach, Ford's coach at the time. He was a good friend. And like he, he was disappointed, but he could see from my side that it was something that couldn't turn down, you know? Um, I mean, I was disappointed. In an ideal world, it would have been amazing if the top 14 season finished and then you could go on a Lions tour. But it wasn't the case. So I, I sort of had to pick. I I didn't know that Perpignan would make the, the final and go on to win it. Not that it made any difference on my on my decision, but I was in the hotel room with Stephen Jones and Durban watching the final, and it was awesome to see. The only the only thing is, I, I didn't get to play another final. Well, to get to play in the final, you got a few others though. And and that's the thing. It's, I, I don't regret that decision at all. And that that's the that's that comes down to what I was saying before. As long as you can, you know, at the end of the day, you can be happy with the choices you made and who you are, then you're all, you're all good. And then after a couple of years at Leinster, you moved back to France with Clermont. I think you arrived at the same time as Benji, didn't you? What, what were your first impressions of, of Benji when you both rocked up at Clermont? Were you at the same time? Yeah. <laughs> really? I thought were you, you there? Me. I was already a legend there, you know, but you were... No, no, what happens is that I think... No, you didn't play the World Cup. No, I did. I did. Yes, that's why. So you arrived a couple of months after because I didn't play the World Cup. So you were you were away for that time. But yeah, it was good. The like I sort of I had I had French when I was at Perpignan, and then because I've been away, I'd sort of forgotten it. So it was good to have Benji there to speak for me, really, because you know Benji likes speaking. We we don't like like that. (laughs) And um, (laughs) no, but it was good to have Benji there because he had. um, I mean, we were quite um, good that way. Anyway, we had a lot of people that shared a lot of different backgrounds and, and different ideas and. And history, so that was a good thing. I think we came together quite well, but um, yeah, we had a good time, Benjo. 
to be fair to well, I think Vern we could speak about him for a long long time and he was really instrumental in me going to to Clermont but then he's basically going and get that that that, that European experience because Clermont were desperate to get there and to be honest that I mean I played with the Heinze one of the biggest my biggest disappointments of my whole career the 2013 Champions Cup final against Toulon Stop it. We had an incredible season and we lose by one point, you know, that Dylan Hermitage waving at Brock James. Uh, we, we, sh- we were the better team that day. It just so happens because whatever, uh, because we did underperform, because one decision of a ref, you know, rugby is like this. And we never really covered from that. But that was one of the biggest disappointments. Like you said, we, things really clicked. We had some incredible wins. I mean, we beat Leinster in Leinster. And I remember that was a big game for you. Smashed them, and, yeah. And, and, and we absolutely smoked them. And we were really, you know, putting some big, big, uh, big moments. Uh, I mean, it's, so it was, it was a really incredibly enjoyable time at Clermont when you know that you want to compete for every game and you, want, you know they're going to pick some guys from everywhere in the world to actually do better and better. And it just didn't deliver completely to, to, to win in the title together, but it was still extremely enjoyable, like you said. Yeah, yeah, it was, um, and that that final tier was was pretty poor, and and um, that sort of knocked on into the next week in a, against Cast, and that, I remember that I remember that that training week was was probably the weirdest week training week I, I've ever had. Uh, it just was so flat, and I didn't really have much uh, you know confidence going in that game. But yeah, that that was a that was a really that's a real sore point in that that final. To be fair, BG. Thanks for, thanks for uh, making me depressed. That was one of the lowlights. So give us, on the flip side, give us the, the highlights of your time in, in France. In France? Um, Asshole! Asshole! Yeah, well, that was ridiculous. <laughs> that, was, that was another lowlight. Um, so that was after the, 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 the quarterfinal against Leinster. Another lowlight. We got beat in uh, Bordeaux. I was having a crack. I was having a, a fantastic game. Anyway, Vern takes me off. But I got I got smashed off a, off a kickoff and my rib was a bit funny and I was like I thought, well my rib is a little bit sore. Burns getting old, maybe he's just gone a bit demented and he, he forgot he's taken me off. Put Jupy on, I think Julian Pierre on. But um, I tore the rib cartilage um, and I didn't really know. And at training the next the next week, Lionel Four landed on me and some, like my rib cartilage is separated from my rib just, just going like and it was sticking it was like stuck and I couldn't I just got I just lie there I couldn't move could I couldn't I couldn't do anything I was going I just went asshole <laughs> that's all I could say and it was, I couldn't even get up couldn't walk and then uh, obviously Benji's there pissing himself T. Paolo is just pissing himself as well and I was like ah. then T. Paolo turns around and looks at the physio I think there's something wrong with his asshole and so basically <laughs> everybody call him everybody call him asshole until the end of the season but he's just there complaining exactly. about his rib cartilage and T. Paolo who was you know the former hooker from Crusaders really yeah. lovely bloke really great in the changing right. room he just turned around physio I think there's something wrong with his asshole <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, which and I heard that I'm trying not to laugh. I can hardly breathe, and I'm like, <laughs> but, uh, but honestly, one of the most painful things in my life. And then the thing, the clinic, the clinic's only 100, uh, 200 meters up the road from the from the training field. So I managed to get up and, and shuffle my way into the clinic. By that time, I'm, I'm I'm white as a sheet and wanted to throw up. Oh mate, it was painful. That was really painful. Sounds like a real highlight. Well, Benji, uh, apparently, so you've asked what my highlight was. Apparently, that's a highlight of Benji. <laughs> yeah. See me in, in, in intense pain. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think uh, Beats can attest to this. It's just uh, a big highlight, I think, is just living and learning 
about another culture, living in France, learning about another culture, meeting new people. I mean, this is outside, it's holistically speaking, and, and not talking about rugby, but just being able to experience new stuff and, and you let, give your family a different experience. Um, yeah, I think that's a highlight uh, of living in France. Made some really good friends. Most most of my thing, most of my memories are outside of rugby, which is, I don't know, weird. Normal. Normal, mate. Yeah. That leads on to this question, and it's an opportunity to give it back to Benji a little bit. You're the perfect person to ask this question to. You've played with Johnny and with Benji. Did you room with either of them? Who was the better teammate? And give it back to them. Oh, shit. Um, the good thing about... I'm going to do this politically, right? I can't I can't remember. <laughs> we've, we've, no, we've roomed together, eh, Benji and Beats? Yeah. Obviously, it's memorable because I don't remember doing it, But um, which, is a good, which is a good thing, right? Because if I did remember... That means you're, you're doing something wrong. Exactly. Because you don't, you don't remember the good, the good roomies. You remember the bad ones. Um, but I think, um, I mean, you know, these two clowns, they're good in the team environment. They're good, good people. And I think you need good people in your team and in your rugby team. And, um, you know, I enjoyed, I'm not going to say who was better, who was not, because they're both good dudes, right? <laughs> and, um, and, and that's all you want. You would just want to work with good people. Benji probably blamed me a couple of times for some shit line out calls, which is okay. Never my yeah. fault. Always yours. <laughs> Obviously, Benji hates throwing a lobby, uh, a lobby, a short lobby throw because he <laughs> always got into me about that, which is okay. We just never called that. And then if we did and it was shit, it was his fault. But yeah, that's the the good thing about these two guys is that um, they're good team blokes and they do anything for the team and and that's what you know what you want. Absolutely. Um... Very disappointing, though, that you didn't uh, lay into them. But hey, um... <laughs> I thought we'd gone off very lightly there. Nothing came yeah. out. Well done, Wagger. That's our role, boys. That's our role. Um, so just um, tell us now, are you, are you itching to get back into coaching? What's what's next for you? So I have taken a role with Gallagher Insurance. Uh, I am development director and I look, uh, look after the relationships between uh, PRL, the clubs and Gallagher, obviously with Gallagher being the title sponsorship of the premiership. The, the title sponsor of the premiership. So I look after all those relationships, make sure that everyone gets what they need in regards to uh, players and access and all that kind of stuff. And that to help Gallagher introduce rugby to their clients and their pro- and their uh, future clients uh, and, and make sure that um, we can use rugby as a, as a vehicle to win new business. So um, that started, obviously it started, I'm in lockdown. So it's, it's been a little bit, it's been a little bit different. I'm not saying you know, not exactly difficult, but it's just a, a bit more of a challenge to to meet people over Zoom and get get time in the diary to, to to speak to people. But it's much more enjoyable to get to rugby ground and pretend that I'm actually doing something. Um, but I'm not coaching or playing. So you're not desperate to get back on the coaching field then. And you mentioned as well you're in you're in Cheshire. So if Alex Sanderson gives you a call and says, "Hey, fancy sale." Ooh. Ooh. Nah, that's, no, that's, that's not that's not the case at all. But I spoke to Alex when I was down at Surrey's because we had a we had a uh, a sponsors day down there when we were allowed, and I mentioned it to him. It was just after Steve Diamond um, uh, stepped aside. But um, at the moment, I'm pretty happy working at Gallagher. It's a good opportunity to to do something different. Coaching at the moment, the, the coaching landscape, like you're saying, Johnny, you have to move around all the time, and and with covid and all everything's going on i'm just quite quite happy to learn something new i'm still i'm still involved in rugby in, in, in a capacity and if the if the situation changes or we can get to a rugby game i'll be really really happy about that 
<laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when we all, hey, well, thanks so much for coming on the show today and sharing all your experiences in, in France with us. And um, big good luck for the, the new role with Gallagher. Yeah. Thanks very much. Um, hopefully, I will see you guys soon. Cheers, Wags. Cheers, Wagga. Cheers, gents. Been a pleasure. Great to have Nathan on, eh? Yeah, he's a legend. Um, I'm one of the best. Like, I still remember my first Scotland tour. I think I actually roomed with Nathan, and it was in Durban in 2007, like ages ago, and just awesome then. Completely looked after me. Lovely bloke. Uh, Misses and family are awesome as well. Uh, he's, he's had some career, that's for sure. Uh, when you look, I mean, he's got so many. How many caps has he got for Scotland? Like 70 or maybe well, almost he, 80. he retired early as well. So he finished up at a World Cup. I think it was in the in New Zealand. I think he finished at the World yeah, Cup in 2011. New Zealand in 2011. Yeah. And he played on for years after that. Um, and I think he got 70, 80 caps. So he's one of the highest. The British Nice Lions. I yeah. mean, he technically sort of won the top 14 with, with Perpignan. He definitely won one Champions Cup with, with Leinster. <laughs> yeah. Then he came back to us and he was 35. And the boys were like, what are you doing to resign a guy like him? And the he just beast. kept on going and going. And he was really good, very instrumental. And you can knew, you could tell he was going, he wanted to be a coach, especially lineouts and forwards coach. He really had a lot of appetite and curiosity towards it. He was always been a serious bloke, good at organizing things and being thorough about what he does. And I was joking around about him and Jamie Cudmore not, not coming back until a Thursday. Bloody hell, they had some good games, the two of them. They were just incredible. They were about 150 years old combined, but <laughs> the wow, two dinosaurs. They were, good. No, they were good. They were good together. And they really, really, the both of them, Jamie, not, maybe not as much as Waga, but they really stepped up in the big occasions. Jamie was always good. He was always ruthless, always a monster. But really, he, he, like I mentioned when we had him, that memory, that monster game that he really lined up, Polo Connell. Heinze was the same. Heinze loves Heineken Cup and Champions Cup. And every big occasion, we played Toulon, ooh, he, was always, he wasn't the same player. We played Champions Cup, he wasn't the same player. And that's when I really recognize greatness is that whenever you think the guy is limping from Monday to Thursday and you're thinking, well, he's too old for this. But whenever the big occasion was there, he always stepped up and was there and ready to deliver big, big performances. A huge fella who could cover a lot of ground. I don't think people realize how big he, like you say, Jamie Cudmore and Wagga, but like it's the bulk that they had in terms of muscle bulk and the athleticism. They were unbelievable, the pair of them. And like you said, like the platform, I think of Wagga and I always think back to like big stages, Clermont, Stade Marcel Michelin and the things that he was doing, like the images, remember of him like, like holding down three Ulster players, being an absolute pest, a complete mutant but just beasting people and he did it consistently. He was a machine. When you almost influence the refs to change rule, that means that you're doing something right on the pitch, right? Yeah. He was doing like, so he, what, what is he? Six foot six, six. Yep. I don't even know. like something like that, but he would just around the rugs, grab as many guys. Cause technically you could, if somebody was grabbed by somebody in the bound, ruck, he was, yep. he was part of, part of the ruck also. But at some point, he was obviously taking it a little bit far. That he was holding two guys with one hand, one with the other, and falling over. He was with his two feet holding a, third, a yeah. fourth guy. And they, to the point where we had to have a, uh, like a, a meeting with the refs in Europe saying, listen, none of that. Because Nathan Hines, where is he? Yeah, come over here. Right. <laughs> what you're doing, that's it. Because everybody's copying you and it's becoming a, a, a street fight. So let's cut that. So that's that's a big, big testament to how influential he was. Well, we mentioned earlier on European rugby not happening for the next couple of weekends, but the top 14 is back and some pretty tasty looking games, eh? Yeah, they had to they had to adapt really quick and, and get those games going. Um, well, I obviously I, I focus a lot on Clermont, but I'm quite excited. I think Clermont going to Bordeaux this weekend. That's going to be a big one. Bordeaux are definitely back. 
putting some big performances, really stepping up from almost to their old self, what they were last year without Semir Adradra, uh, really uh, putting big performance after big performance. Really excited about that. Excited to see that last week, uh, Toulouse, Stade Francais, the little superstars of French rugby are still there. I mean, uh, every time Antoine Dupont touches the ball, something happens. He's electric, uh, man. He's, I don't even want to speak to him about him anymore. I mean, that's it. We've done it enough. And on, <laughs> on again. He's probably going to kill it. So now, all I expect from him is to win the World Cup. Otherwise, I'll be, I'll be disappointed, basically. <laughs> that's how, how good he can be, I think. Yeah, the other one's Simon Pelle cast. Again, Philippe Saint-André, the ch- or the effect he's had on the team, obviously improved performances, but they still lost the past two games since he's taken charge. And actually, they find themselves under a bit of pressure at home to cast, who have won the last two games after two red cards. They've gone down to 14 men for pretty much the duration of the game, but they've won their games. So it doesn't get easier for Montpellier. The other one, I'm going up to Paris. I'm doing Racing Toulon for Canal Plus. That should be an absolute, um, that should be a biggie as well. Lots of talent on show, um, but just good to have it back. Like compare it to the Prem, like we're just lucky to have rugby, rugby to watch. Um, and it means that hopefully we're not going to have this fixture pile up and the, the, you know, the scheduling being an absolute mess at the end of the year. And then we need, we need to talk about, are you allowed to, you know, we talked about being a forwards coach and talk about lineouts and stuff, but are you allowed to lift the ref up in the air to celebrate the win? <laughs> so I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you my feeling of it. So Nevea was so chuffed to win in Bézier because obviously it's a tough, big old win. And the last decision of the ref was going to be the decision maker to allow the, the, the try or not from Bézier whether they won or not. So he was already dancing around the reef, waiting for that. For he that saw his face, eh? And then it's just a genuine, childish, stupid reaction. Okay, but it's genuine and kind and funny and passionate, right? It comes from the heart. It's not, he doesn't want to hurt them. He doesn't want to be angry. It doesn't come from any bad side of his heart. So but I would forgive anything. I was more pissed off about the reaction of the busier players. Yeah, look 100%. at them all the way around. They're all going up to the ref like I've never seen it. Like what I hate about football. When exactly. I see those guys sprinting and coming to the face of the ref, I started screaming and stuff. And the ref is there, poor thing. I mean, I, I would distribute some red cards if I was a, a football ref. Like, don't even get close to my face. You're gone. And and all those busy guys are, are we allowed to do this? Are we allowed to do that? And even though it doesn't change the, the faith of the game, because the, the score was, the try was not meant to be allowed, they're still there to complain. So I'm like, listen, this is not rugby. If we start to have problems in the, in the stands, if we start to have disrespectful players to the, to the refs, and if we start to have players who, after a big scruffle, after a big game, don't shake hands and do this thing of, you know, you smash the shit out of each other on the field and then you respect each other off it. If we lose that, we lose everything we've got. And we lo- lose our difference with any other sport. So I think it's, it's a matter of, obviously, he did. The, uh, the, the Fijian player was at Raizuke. Yeah, I cannot touch the ref. Okay, do not touch the ref. You cannot do that. Yeah, but it's just a mistake. Okay, so let's let's not make it bigger than it is, especially at the moment. We're so chuffed to see some rugby. So I hope he gets a weak band like it should 100%. be. Hundred percent, Max. I hope that's it. That's the kicker for me. Is I hope that you obviously can't touch a ref. The ref's clearly embarrassed. You have to be embarrassed in that situation, but he's got no choice but to send them off. That's the sad of course, thing. It's, it's come the out right of joy. Decision. It's the right decision. But I just hope that they. Look at circumstance, look at what's going on in the world and like a weak max ban. Just, you know, give him a slap on the wrist, but let's get him back. He knows not to do it again. Because if you, the ref doesn't do anything, what's next? Is somebody going to grab and like give somebody a nuke? Like you can't be touching a ref. So 100% the right decision, but just, you know, a weak ban and get him back in. 
He's learned his lesson. It won't happen again. I know for a fact that the ref went into the Nevers uh, change room after. It's funny. The ref went into the change room almost to, to address it. And he looked at the guys like, come on, what, what have you done? But almost wanted to apologize for giving him a red card. And before he said anything, the Fijian player came over and apologized. He said, I, I, I'm, I'm truly sorry. <laughs> it, it was a mistake. I didn't want, I didn't mean any disrespect. It's just that it was a stupid reaction. What do you mean to say? My, my heart is too big. <laughs> and yes. I, didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't think enough. And, and actually they shook hands and, you know, and went, went from there. There was no disrespect wanted. And I think move on. Absolutely. And should we quickly talk about some of the rumors, transfer rumors? You love a transfer rumor, don't you, Benji? Contract agent time. <laughs> Yeah, well, listen, if, if I heard that, what is it? The back row of Bath, Zach Mercer, that's what Zach you just Mason. told me, is link, linked. Who I think, to, by the, to be fair, I think is a very good player. I, I really do rate him. I think he's maybe not a number eight, but he's not the biggest dude. But wow, he's got some he's wheels. Athletic, he's athletic, man. Some really, yeah, he's got some real ability. I really enjoy playing, uh, seeing him play. It, it more disappoints me to think, what the, f- what the hell is wrong with Bath? They've got fantastic Whoa. players all around. They could have Underhill, Mercer, and what is and Faletao. And they're just constantly in the middle of not really performing and being good. And especially players don't want to stay. Uh, so I think, is he from there originally? He's a bit from everywhere. He's, so his dad okay. was my, he was my defense coach. His dad was my defense coach up in Glasgow. And so, so Gary's the dad, Zach's the boy. So Zach, they were obviously, Gary was a leaguey and he played um, down south in England. So Zach was born down south, but then did finish his schooling up in Scotland. Okay. And like you said, really talented player. I think he played maybe Scotland under 18s and then went to England under 20s. But you say, like, how can how, how are Bath not retaining the talent? So Zach's obviously one of those kids that isn't going to play ahead of Billy Vinopola, isn't going to play ahead of Curry, isn't going to start in an England jersey. And I don't think, like, Bath obviously wants to keep him. He's English qualified. He's, he would be easy QP, obviously. Um, he's important to them. But Montpellier have obviously just opened the checkbook and been like, boom, here you come and they can't compete. That's the only reason he would go to Montpellier. Yeah, but you always have to, to counterbalance the money with the risk that he's taken for his career. That, like we said with Heinze, we spoke about two hours about the yeah. the, la- the lack of stability of this club. That's it. So he's saying he's saying goodbye to his English. Any hope he had or had retained of playing for England is gone. You then go to Montpellier. Yes, you take a nice paycheck. You live in the sunshine, but you temper that with you're under Philippe Saint-André. They're in dire straits, the second bottom of the top 14 it doesn't look like the quality of the rugby is going to improve anytime soon. Philippe Santoli admitted that he's only coach until June. So the guy is signing with a coach that doesn't even need, well, obviously any coach would like Zach Mercer, okay, but maybe a, a coach would want to come with his own number eight or number six. You know, you just don't know. The, 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 exactly. The it's a huge risk. Although maybe behind the scenes, they've already got a coach in place who said, I want to bring this guy and as part of the project. We don't know that. But if you're Zach Mercer, you're signing in blind faith purely for a big paycheck. In my opinion, it's a bad move. And what about the slightly off the wall one, Israel Falau to Toulon? Any truth in that whatsoever with all his baggage? I don't know, mate, but I would, I, I want to see him back in Union, like in spite of the scandal and, and what's gone on and points of views and religious, won't get into it, but mate, he's, one of, he's one of the best 15s in the world. And I think there's one place that you can go and be forgiven or people are less politically correct, Benji, I could say. Um, like France in the top 14 would suit him down to the ground. He'd be exceptional in France. He's obviously at the Catalan Dragons and, and doing really well in, in league, but it'd be great to have him back and Toulon would be a great fit, 100%. Yeah, it's, it's one of them. I think he can, have, he can believe whatever he wants as long as he doesn't offend others by expressing it. 
actually I, actually I, I really don't care I think we're all completely different uh, we all have the, the right to believe in whatever we want it's just the offense given by by expressing it in such a harsh way even though you have to understand if that's his belief that's his belief you know not, no problem uh, he's obviously like Johnny said one of the best one of the most uh, incredible uh, talented um, fullbacks or just backs attacking style rugby in the world so you want to see him on the field right um, my only issue is that the club that's going to take him is going to have to open the checkbook because he's going to have a lot of he's going to have a lot of offers from a bit of everywhere in the world and I just hope that he picks a place where it's not only going to be about the checkbook but he's actually going to be able to enjoy his rugby enjoy his time if he's lived in Perpignan he's got <laughs> he's starting to love a little bit the French sunshine then going to Toulon would be extraordinary and they will allow him to be like you said to be a bit a bit loud and and, and a bit crazy but for, for Toulon to do that it's going to be a matter of salary cap that then we're going to have to address so I'm excited to see him play in, 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 in top 14 if he decides to 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 get in not put a leash you know but understand that what he says can 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 hurt and and can be sore for others and actually take a decision that will that will be beneficiary for his his well-being his career and just his to see his his, his god-given talent because he can be extraordinary and just finally what's going on with Gabriele Bitoy because agenda seem happy with him do they is he going to Montpellier what's what's happening with him well he was phenomenal at the start of the year but the rest of the team at Agen wasn't um and he signed obviously came over to France with a pro de clause so if they get relegated he is a a clause that he can get out and sign for another team. So I don't know, it's, it's a weird one for Agen to hit back at him um, when actually on the field he produced the, goose, the goods and he was one of the few shining lights of that Agen side. I don't know, it's just bad for him to play out in the press and to be slacking him off for, for looking at other teams. That's clearly the realistic, the realistic situation that they all find themselves in. The club isn't in a situation where they can retain him for next year. He's, he's played well. He's going to attract offers from other places. I don't know what you think, Benji, but... For one, the whole Agen season, unfortunately, is, is a shambles. Go on. Yeah. They haven't won a game. Uh, it's very, very complicated. They got in a fight coming back from a European game that they didn't uh, because guys were pissed on the plane in front of some young, some young fans. So, so the season is not going well. The coach got sacked. Uh, then another coach comes in and then the president is disappointed with it and put a picks on player, not doesn't pick on player, but like states the names of guys he thinks are not performing well and not giving everything for a jersey and pull them out of the of the squad. Um, and then, but that's, so that's the general atmosphere, unfortunately, at Agen, which is not going well. They're going to get relegated and things are not, are not going their way. And on top of that, this summer, remember when he signed, we said, it's a funny signing for him to take a big risk good. to go to Agen. He you know, really and he's good. very good. So like Johnny said, he's going to get, He's going to attract some interest. Um, I think maybe he lost interest in the Agen season. This season also because he was expecting a lot more. Maybe got some poor, um, some some poor advice from his agents or from from the, in his decision makers. Um, so I, I don't think it's very uh, extraordinary to see him being linked to other clubs. I think Bayonne came to the charge to try to get him during the season, and then Montpellier, and Montpellier as well. have done it. So I think he's going to leave. And basically the club's decision is because we're going to get relegated. If you're going to leave, you might, well, might as well leave now. Uh, save ourselves a little bit of cash and, 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 and sort out the solution now. Excellent. Thanks, Benji. Thanks, Johnny. Good to be back, guys. I missed you both. It's good to be back. <laughs> good to be back. Have a good day, guys. Enjoy. Looking forward to next week. Absolutely. A big thanks to Nathan Hines as well and for all of you for listening. Make sure you hit subscribe. Leave us a nice review and we'll be back with another episode next week. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Cheers fellas. Bye.